You are listening to the Art Problems Podcast, episode 43. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And this is a special New Year's predictions edition of the podcast. This week on the show, I look back on my predictions for the 2023 year and tell you my predictions for 2024. Now, I'm excited about virtually every edition of the podcast because it's my thing, but this one in particular, I think is really going to be a treat for folks. And that's not just because I spent my entire holidays mentally writing the predictions list for this year. It's because I'm addressing what I like to call the crisis of accountability and punditry predictions, which is defined by critics hurtling out predictions without reflecting on the accuracy of their predictions in years past. And this is something actually, I I joke, but I actually think it's really important for all of us to take a look back at what we've done over the past year, what we thought was going to be a certain way, and what panned out and what didn't, because it helps us make decisions. So this is one of the fun things that we get to do each year. And I'm going to take a page from my favorite non-art podcast, Hard Fork, and skip reviewing every single prediction that I made in 2023 for the sake of all of our sanity, and talk about what I got the most right and the most wrong. So let's start with the most right. I said that in-person networking would make a comeback now that we don't have to fear for our lives just by visiting a gallery. And you know what? That really bore out. It's not like I needed a crystal ball for this to really to figure this out. I think this was a pretty straightforward prediction. But in 2023, we saw a lot more travel. We saw a lot more excitement at openings. And I think many of us had more fun than we did during the lockdown. So those things are all positive. I didn't follow this prediction all the way through though, because I also predicted that art fairs would lessen in importance, even though I said that IRL networking would make a comeback. I would say that that was something that I got you know, wrong. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like I have to catch it, but I wanna say that it wasn't all wrong. It just wasn't a very specific prediction. Art fair is very significantly from fair to fair, and overall participation is down for a lot of networking economies we rely on. So, for example, Instagram use is down, but we're not at the point where we can write it off entirely. The same goes for art fairs. Not that I predicted that, but if I had it to do over again, I'd probably be a little bit more specific about the prediction itself. So it'd be a little bit more meaningful. So now that we've done the thing that I got the most right and the most wrong, I want to move on to 2024 and what it holds for us. So let's start with the super easy shit. This is the stuff that I want to say I'm most sure about. So art trends, let's talk about those first. Number one, I think fiber-based art is reaching its peak. I don't think it has peaked, but this year I saw a lot of really great fiber-based art at the fairs and galleries, and it's been really exciting to see. The other thing that I'm seeing a lot of trend-wise are paintings that look like they're viewed through a prism, and these seem to be all the rage. And I, I have to admit, like for the most part, I actually like 
a lot of art trends. Like a while back, there was uh, the trend of putting a plant on virtually anything. You know what? That always works. Same with mirrors. These things haven't really gone away, but they're not quite as much in the consciousness as they were maybe five, seven years ago. Paintings that are viewed through a prism, that aesthetic feels very powerful and present right now. Now, something that I have noticed an absence of is large, overly produced or staged photography. That at any of the fairs or in most galleries that I see now is, is almost entirely absent. So there feels to be less of a market for that. The second thing I want to talk about in terms of predictions is small art publishers. I predict that they will grow in importance because there's no other game in town. So that's got some pluses and minuses. So the plus is being that aside from the fact that it's impossible to make money in the field, there's space for independent publications. The minus being that a lot of these publications don't maintain the same publishing standards as mainstream media. Now, that's inevitable and, you know, fine. Fewer resources, volunteer or low pay labor means you're not going to get the same product as a publication that can afford to have full-time staff. A publication that has a lot of resources behind it can produce bigger things. And we need that. And we need more robust publishing venues than Hyperallergic, right? It's great that they exist. I'm so glad that they exist because I, you know, I publish with them. Uh, I know the publishers. But the fact that they're the only ones that have that kind of visibility as an independent publisher, the absence of other publication indicates a weakness in the industry, not a strength. Those are the two predictions that I think are very, I'm very confident about. What I'm less sure about predictions wise is far more consequential. This year I predict we'll spend far less time on our computers and actually I'd put that at about a 95% probability based on what the network members are telling me in their New Year's resolutions alone. So that part I'm actually very sure about. What I'm less sure about is the upshot of the coming changes to our relationship with technology. And I predict those changes this year and in the years to come will be massive. I think that art is going to get better. We're going to start to see a lot better art this year. And that we have the opportunity to make the time we do spend online far more impactful. But this is where things get a little uncertain. And I wanted to spend some time discussing these uncertainties because it's where anxiety grows. But it's also where we can foster optimism. And this year, I really want to make it I've made it my New Year's resolution to live with more optimism in my life so that I can contribute more positively. And I can't think of a more important year for optimism than the 2024 election year. So this year, optimism, I'm going to be honest, it's going to be a challenge this year. You know, I know many of us, myself included, have been dreading the last four years because this we knew this was coming. And in times like this, we really need optimism, not naive optimism, but the belief that in spite of the challenges in front of us, 
we can still make a better world. We still have the opportunity to make change. And that's tricky to feel that right now. And it's tricky for a lot of reasons. There, there are a lot of different parts of the world right now where it feels like things just aren't working properly. So one of the great frustrations of 2023 is that the things that I once loved stopped working or being fun. Like you can Google anything you want to know about now and you get a landslide of search results and most are too generalized or garbagey to be useful. Google used to actually work. It doesn't now. And I think the same goes for career advice, right? Like there's a lot of ways and places to get career advice. It's very difficult to know what's good and what will be useful for you. And I think this is like something that is kind of endemic across all industries where the quality of information is greatly reduced. Now, Cory Doctorow described this phenomenon, which I think is maybe a little bit less specific, but he was talking about the quality of search results and finding what you need. He described this last year as the enshittification of the internet in Wired. Here's what he wrote. Here's how platforms die. First, they are good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. I call this enshittification. It is a seemingly inevitable consequence arising from the combination of the ease of changing how a platform allocates value combined with the nature of a two-sided market where a platform sits between buyers and sellers, holds each hostage to each other, raking off an ever larger share of the value that passes between them, right? And so in this particular article, he goes on to talk about Google. He talks about TikTok. He talks about, I can't remember all the, oh, Amazon. That was the other one. He talks about all these places. And and as I mention these names, I'm sure you are thinking the same thing me as me, right? Like, oh, Amazon, that's the place where I used to be able to find stuff. And now it's 50 ads before I can see anything. Oh yeah, Google, that's the place where I used to find information. And now who knows what I'll get, right? Like that is what has happened to all of these platforms. Nobody likes this. We're all living it. And that's why technologist Anil Dash wrote the following in Rolling Stone magazine last week. It's a dramatic, messy era on the internet. Everything is changing rapidly. There's broad dissatisfaction with the dominant search engine, and activists are worried about privacy implications of increasingly intrusive online surveillance. While investors prattle on about esoteric topics like digital currency and virtual reality, back in the real world, users are concerned with how hard it is to message all of their friends on the many different platforms they're using, and perhaps a bit curious about the new social networks that keep popping up. Amidst the backdrop of all this change, an off-putting nerd named Elon Musk won't stop talking about an everything app called X that will help him manifest his extreme views. But more than anything, it is a time when the internet seems ripe for change. 
perhaps even being wide open to a new cohort of technologies and communities that could reshape the way it works. Millions of people seem poised to connect with each other in new ways as they reconsider their fundamental relationship to technology. The era I'm talking about is 2000, but it could just as easily be 2024 because this new year offers many echoes of a moment we haven't seen in a quarter century. Some of the most dominant companies on the internet are at risk of losing their relevance, and the rest of us are rethinking our daily habits in ways that will shift the digital landscape as we know it. Though the specifics are hard to predict, we can look to historical precedents to understand the changes that are about to come, and even to predict how regular internet users, not just the world's tech tycoons, may be the ones who decide how it goes. This is an excerpt from the article, The Internet is About to Get Weird Again, and I wanted to discuss this on the podcast because it echoes what I've been saying for the last two years that the old internet is coming back. So yes, pretty much any software you're going to use costs a fortune now, and its performance will be reduced from what you're used to. And you know, there's no obvious place to spend your networking time. And yet, I think all of this is great news. The internet giants that turn the diversity of the early net into monoculture are showing signs of strain. Instagram is far less effective, and we know it's not great for our health. Regulation is finally starting to be passed in Europe, and in the U.S., the app store monopolies may be coming to an end thanks to an anti-competition lawsuit that Google recently lost. Now, this news doesn't, it's not going to seem immediately relevant to you, to any artist you know, I think, except perhaps for digital artists, but let me tell you why it actually is relevant. If these monopolies lose their grip, there will be more space for other kinds of thinking and other kinds of people. There will be more space for art, for artists, and importantly, for weirdness. Imagine a world that is no longer made up of unmoderated, unregulated communities run by software giants. That world, the one that we're seeing come apart right now, is the one that led to a resurgence of extremists and anti-democratic forces. Imagine a world where it's not prohibitively expensive for smaller communities to thrive, to pool resources and create spaces that we want to live in. You know, I get that the billionaires are still going to be billionaires. I'm not naive. But <laughs> the truth is, is that I would probably always be optimistic about communities. I think when I think about my background, that's always what has made me most excited. And I believe that those communities that support others, I believe that transforms our world. And that's why Network exists. It's a community of artists that are in this together. They're working together on their careers. They know the way to advance their careers is by helping others out along the way. And I guess one of the reasons that I feel so excited about 2024 is that inside the network community, I have seen civilized conversation. I have seen conversation that has gone really deep. I've seen conversation that I haven't been able to find on the internet otherwise. 
And I've wanted that for so long. So it's so exciting to see all of you artists are making this world. You know, we're not solving the world's inequities, but we can at least model a community and a world that works better for us. And that goes a far way. And that, my friends, is why I'm optimistic about 2024. Is it going to happen all in 2024? No. But I think there's an opportunity here to build something special because we don't have to be so reliant on Instagram. We don't have to be so reliant on all of these software company giants. I think art is going to get better in 2024. And for the first time in a while, I haven't been completely devastated by our electoral prospects. Not because they aren't dire, because, oh my God, they are. But it's because I finally think that there's enough dissatisfaction and shifts in the culture for change to take place, right? There's an opportunity for us right now. And if we can take it, I want to be clear here that I think there's a lot of opportunity for change because there are these shifts. There is this sort of fragility in the economic ecosystem that we've been part of that has really sort of hamstrung creativity due to these monopolies. So if they start to break down, you know, ideally there's more space for ideas and hopefully a little less space for some of the more pernicious attitudes, let's say, that have really been, they've really taxed our culture. So those are the things that I'm excited about. And I want you to stay tuned for next week's podcast, because it's going to be a series on growing a career in the arts. And I will be asking network artists to reflect on what worked for them last year, what didn't, what they did, why, how, so that you don't have to guess about what will work for you. It's going to be awesome. I want you to tune in and say hello on Instagram. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review and share it with a friend. It really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you. You can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast. 